0: hey guys, gals, and others, we are going back to talk about the cell membrane for this week's remediation. So not as exciting as the tour of the cell, but along the same lines. So hope you enjoy the episode. Where we teach biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard I'm your host, John Doty, thanks for listening Hopefully you enjoyed the little bonus episode we dropped last week All about the opossum And why they're the most badass animal there is Um, Today we're going to get back to it Um, We are on chapter 7 Talking about cell membranes So this is some pretty intense biology we're getting into this one um, we're going to talk about the structure, how they're made, or not how they're made, but w- yeah, how they're made. I guess that's one way you could say What they're made of is really what I was going for. Um, how they work and how they allow the cell to do work. So some pretty intense biology, a little biochem um, there in some places. So before we get into it, um, thanks for listening Like I said, I last week I kind of pushed For 150 downloads um, We are over 200 now Every time I see that number goes up I get a little giddy inside So keep telling people Keep sharing, keep listening um, Feel free to follow us on Twitter That hasn't changed much We're at bio for bastards um, That's kind of fun it would be cool to hear From everybody Where everybody's from, what they think of it Tips to improve because I'm always open to that. So feel free to give us a follow, give us a shout out. Um, Yeah, that would be great. You may have noticed there are ads at the end. You can listen to those, you can skip them. I don't really care. But it's basically for the website that I'm using. So you can make your own for free. You can listen to the ad for that. And we also have a support button on the website, which you can access through our Twitter page. Um, it is anchor.fm slash bio for bastard So if you want to throw some money my way So maybe I can make this a little bit fancier That'd be cool Or if you just want to give me money I also just approve of that But all that housekeeping stuff being said Let's get into cell membranes So we've talked about it a little bit before About cell membranes It's something that every cell has Because you got to keep the inside in And the outside out And all that shit Um, But these membranes that we're talking about are known as selectively permeable, or you might sometimes see it as semi-permeable. And that just means some things can go across it, others can't. That's the whole selectively, or the semi. Some things can go through, others can't. Um, And the way we really describe it, the cell membrane, is as this fluid mosaic model. Fluid, because it's moving, It's not always the same. There's a bunch of changes that can happen in mosaic because it's made up of a bunch of different things, like phospholipids, which we'll get into a little more detail, proteins, carbohydrates, all that stuff makes up the current fluid mosaic model. But it wasn't the first model. Um, There were some where people believed that the phospholipid, which are the fats with the hydrophobic, tails and the hydrophilic heads i always have to be careful with that Um, were sandwiched between proteins but that wouldn't work because there's proteins that have some hydrophobic parts and if they're on the outside of this so-called sandwich model um, they'd be interacting with the water in the surroundings so that didn't work and it wasn't until um, 1972 that we got the current fluid mosaic model which has the lipid, phospholipid bilayer. So two layers with the tails facing each other. So the hydrophobic parts are kind of protected from the hydro, from the water by the hydrophilic parts. And then we have all these different proteins kind of scattered throughout the membrane. Um, So I've already mentioned the hydrophobic head, sorry, hydrophobic tail, hydrophilic head of the phospholipids. Um. But those structures, those phospholipids Also help kind of keep the membrane fluid Because some of them are unsaturated Some of the fatty acid tails And if you remember, unsaturated means it has a double bond And those little fuckers keep it from freezing So when the temperatures get low The little bends in those tails keep them from packing tightly And it keeps your cells from dying so i don't know about you but in my book live cells are good cells so that's really really good um and that's what cholesterol does in your cells is it both limits it from getting too packed together when the temperature gets really low but it also kind of keeps it you know not too fluidy um when the temperature starts to get high so that's kind of the phospholipid Component of the fluid mosaic model. The other part are these membranes. Sorry, not membranes. I'm recording this one early in the morning. I'm still drinking my coffee. It hasn't kicked in, hence all the mistakes. And as I said in chapter six, if I were a professional, I'd re record this and make it all pretty, but I don't give a fuck because this is just something I'm doing. So it's one take, unscripted, and we just kind of go with it. So I'm going to take a little sip of coffee. Then I'm going to talk about membrane proteins. There we go. All right. Membrane proteins. There's two types. We've got peripheral f- proteins which are on the outside or the inside of the membrane. The important thing is that they don't go through it. Okay, they are either completely outside of the cell or completely inside the cell um kind of help make framework um they're held in place either by the cytoskeleton or some of that extracellular matrix we talked about um stuff on the outside just kind of scaffolding now the and i've heard this pronounced two different ways the integral proteins is how i say it i've also heard integral but i think i go integral um proteins those are actually embedded so they span the width of the cell membrane and they have hydrophobic insides they're where the tails are so hiding from the water they have hydrophilic outsides so one is facing the cytoplasm of the cell on the inside of the cell one is facing the extracellular environment and these guys and gals if we're assigning genders the proteins which is stupid these things are really really important for like some signaling um, or transport or um, enzymes so they do a lot of stuff because they can serve as pathways for certain things to get through so if this um, we said it's semi-permeable if it's a really big molecule it has problems getting through because it's too big it just can't fit so these Integral proteins can serve as, you know, gateways that they can pass through. They can also serve um, for signal transduction. So it receives a signal from outside the cell. And because the protein spans the membrane, it can trigger something inside the cell. Um, It can be useful for cell-to-cell recognition. And then, you know, all the stuff that happens from that. We did talk about some gap junctions, some tight junctions, stuff like that at the very end of Chapter 6. Um, it, these integral proteins can do stuff like that. So they do a whole bunch of shit, um, the integral proteins. I'm not saying that the um, membrane proteins aren't important or the peripheral proteins aren't important. They're just a lot simpler. They have fewer roles than the integral proteins. Now, also part of this cell membrane. So we've talked about the phospholipids making the actual bilayer. We've talked about the proteins kind of either on the outside or spanning that bilayer. There's also a bunch of carbohydrates involved because these carbs are basically signals. They're basically flags or signs um, that help with cells identifying other cells And we have glycolipids, we have glycoproteins. All glyco means is that there's a carbohydrate involved, so a glycolipid is a lipid plus a carbohydrate. A glycoprotein is a protein with a carbohydrate on it. And these are things when you talk about cells identifying invaders or like blood typing. If you have like type A positive blood, you have these carbohydrates I think they're glycoproteins, to be perfectly honest. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think they're glycoproteins um, hanging off your cells, saying, you know, this is type A blood and it's type positive blood. And that's how you can um, use stuff when you identify things. Now, there is a sidedness to the cell membrane. We have an inside and an outside. And that is determined... Um, As it's being built by that endomembrane system that we talked about last chapter. So you can see we're getting to the point where shit starts to pile up on itself. Where if you haven't listened to episode 6, then this one's going to be a little shitty for you. Because it just starts adding up real fast. Um, And we're really getting to that. That's how biology does it. So if you're behind one, and go back, listen, and then pick this one back up. So the endomembrane system we talked about was the endoplasmic reticulum and the Golgi. So as it's being built, um, the inside of the vesicle made by the Golgi will be the outside of the plasma membrane. So just think about that. When the Golgi apparatus makes a vesicle and it's got that little bubble, the way it works is the inside Of that Golgi vesicle is going to be the outside of the cell membrane and the outside of the vesicle will be the inside of the cell membrane so by that it's able to make this sidedness to the cell membrane all right with me so far because now we're getting that's the structure phospholipids carbohydrates Proteins, all that shit. We're now getting into how the membrane works. So, getting to that selectively permeable nature of it. Now, small things, whether they're polar or nonpolar, can get across easily. They can squeeze between the phospholipids. We're talking things like tiny little hydrocarbons, carbon dioxide, oxygen, real tiny shit. Um, but bigger things or charged particles. They got, they got some shit they got to go through Because charged things don't like to go through the hydrophobic middle Because the hydrophobic middle doesn't like them And if they're too big, there's just no way you're going to squeeze through Between all those things So that's where we need help Here, There's different things So this is where we start talking about transport and diffusion and concentration gradients So before we get into all that shit just saying shit a bunch today must be my morning word um there's a little aside for you so a concentration gradient is just where there's a high concentration on one side of something and a low concentration somewhere else so that's what we mean by a gradient and diffusion is this movement down the concentration gradient so from high to low that's what we mean by diffusion um and diffusion happens because these particles that we're talking about are just randomly buzzing around bumping into each other shoving people out of the way and when they're really tightly packed it's going to show them where there's more space which is where they're loosely packed so we have a couple different types of transport uh, the first one we're going to kind of focus on is passive transport passive meaning no energy no energy whatsoever for passive transport. It's diffusion. It's just movement from high to low. Like you pour water on the top of a hill and it's going to flow down. That's passive transport. Um, Now if we're specifically talking about the diffusion of water, we call that osmosis. We've talked about solutes, solvents, all that stuff. So when we care about Osmosis. What we care about is the free water. So that's the stuff that is not dealing with dissolving shit. So if it's surrounding um, a solute particle doing its thing, making that hydration shell, that's not free water. It can't diffuse. It's busy. So we care about free water. So when we are talking about a solution, the fewer solute particles in that solution, the more free water there is. It's just kind of flip-flopped. The more solute, the less free water. And osmosis is the diffusion of water. So it's the movement of water from where there's a higher concentration of water, of free water, to a lower level of free water. So all this um, determines the tonicity of a solution. Because when you throw a cell in a solution, There's three options. The solution can either be have a higher amount of free water, it can have a lower amount of free water, or it can have exactly the same amount of free water. Because those are the three options when you're comparing two numbers. Higher, lower, or the same. So, you take a cell. We're going to talk about plants and animals because they're a little bit different. Because plants have that cell wall that animal cells don't. So if you throw a cell in a hyper o tonic solution hypotonic hypo means below like hypothermia it's below temperature hypotonic solution there is less water hold on like i said it's morning let me take some coffee okay i'm back there is less free water inside the cell than in the outside solution. So water's gonna rush in. And in an animal cell, that can cause a cell to burst. and Just pop and die, and that's bad. But in a plant cell, that's normal. That cell becomes what's known as turgid. T-U-R-G-I-D, turgid. It's a fun little dumb sounding word, turgid. And that just means it's swollen, it's happy, It's how they stay supporting of the plant. If you see a plant wilty, um, that's when you have not enough water. And it gets a little, you know, all that shit. So, you throw a cell in a solution that's exactly the same amount of free water as is inside the cell. That is isotonic. Iso means same. So that means there's no net change water water water's moving back and forth it's just moving at the same rate so that's why you use saline solution if you're like super dehydrated in the hospital they pump you full of saline because that is isotonic to what you should be if you're dehydrated it's going to rush the water in but as soon as you get to the point where you should be you're going to be cool you're going to be good um now in plants an isotonic solution actually makes the plant flaccid which is just fun. It's flaccid. It's limp. It means what you think it means. And if you throw a cell in a hypertonic solution, there's more shit dissolved outside than on the inside. So there's less free water. So water's going to rush out, and the plant will become plasmalized, where all the um, cytoplasm pulls away from the walls, and it makes it sad and wilty. All right, we are now at the point where we need to know some math, okay? So if you haven't been paying attention to the slides today, um, I would go through and check the slides because there's examples here. Um, it's water potential, and this is how you determine which way water is gonna flow. So there's a, a Greek letter, I think it's Rho. I don't know. It looks like a trident. So I don't speak Greek, and I don't know Greek letters. Um, But whatever that letter is, it just says it's the symbol we use to refer to water potential. And water is going to move from high water potential to low water potential, just like we've talked about. And there's an equation to figuring this out. And what you have to do is um, calculate this water potential by figuring out the solute potential. Because water potential is the solute potential plus the pressure. So if there's physical pressure pushing the solution in a certain direction. So that's pretty easy to do. The hard part isn't that hard. But it's calculating the solute potential because there's an equation. The equation is negative ICRT, which all those things mean something. Definitely go check the show notes to find the slides to see what's going on because I am going to do my best to describe this math, but math is better seen than heard. So what does the solute potential mean? well what it is it's equal to negative icrt um the negative is important um because what it does is when you add solute you're lowering the potential of the water you're lowering the water potential so that's why there's that negative there i the variable i stands for the ionization Constant. So just how many particles does that make when you throw it in solution? So something like sodium chloride, it dissociates into sodium into chlorine, or chloride. So that has a i value of two. Something like glucose, it doesn't dissolve. It does dissolve. It doesn't dissociate. Has a ionization constant of one. So usually things are one or two. Uh, they can be more. They can't be less. You can't have zero. But usually one or two. If it's a sugar, it's one. Um, If it's an ionic compound, it's probably two. might be three. Um, Then you have C, which is the molar concentration. We've talked about molarity. It's the number of moles of solute per liter of solution. R, in the equation, negative ICRT, is the pressure constant. So it's the same number every time is 0.0831 liter bars per mole Kelvin. So It's a crazy-ass value basically all everything cancels out. And then the temperature is T and it's the temperature in Kelvin. So you take the temperature in degrees Celsius and add 273 to it. You do that math of the ionization constant Times the molar concentration, times the pressure constant, times the temperature, you take the negative of all of that, that gives you your solute potential. And as we said, water is gonna move from a higher water potential value to a lower water potential value. So it's gonna to move to more negative. And it is gonna move from where you have a lower solute concentration to a higher solute concentration because lower solute concentration means more free water. And it's gonna move from a high pressure to a low pressure, which is kind of obvious. And that's how trees work. There's a high water potential at the roots. There's a low water potential at the top of the tree and it just pulls the water without having a pump. So that's kind of pretty nifty. Um, There is a practice problem on calculating the solute potential of a 10th molar sodium chloride solution at 25 degrees Celsius. Um, You can work through it if you want, if you're following along, negative ICRT. The ionization constant of sodium chloride is 2, C is 0.1, R is equal to 0.0831, that's the constant, it's always the same. The temperature at 25 degrees Celsius is 25 plus 273, so that's 298. You should get a number of negative 4.95. Boom. Shit done. That's the confusing shit for today. So take a deep breath. You're good. Um, And now we're going to talk about a different type of diffusion. So all that shit that we just talked about was osmosis. Passive transport, no energy, just doing its shit. Um, sometimes we need help moving shit across the membrane. That's where facilitated diffusion comes in. And it uses these things called transport proteins, which are integral proteins spanning the width of the cell membrane. And It's going to help move things across. And they can do it in a couple ways. There can be channels. It can be carrier proteins. Anything like that. They could be gated channels, which just means they open or close, depending on if there's some sort of stimulus there. Um, But they help move polar molecules or big ions or big molecules, not just big ions. Ions or big molecules. And a very important type of protein that helps in facilitated diffusion is this aquaporin aqua means water aquaporin it allows three billion molecules of water across the cell membrane every fucking second just like super fucking fast um keeps our cells from bursting keeps them from shriveling up it really helps regulate the flow of water we have a bunch of other ones we have like a glucose transport protein which is a carrier protein which just means it changes a little bit when the glucose gets there um but that's all facilitated diffusion is. After all that shit about osmosis, it's nice to have something really simple. It just has a little help getting shit across. Um, now, the opposite of diffusion and passive transport is active transport, where it does take energy. and Energy is the form of ATP. We'll talk about ATP more in the next couple chapters, but It's the energy molecule and every type of active transport will require energy and will require carrier proteins. It has to have some help. So we're talking about pumps here. And we're moving things from an area of low concentration to an area of high concentration. So we're going against the current, which makes sense. It takes no energy to float downstream, but it takes a lot of energy to paddle upstream we are paddling upstream with active transport. And there's two main ways that we're gonna focus on active transport. We've got pumps, electrogenic pumps, and we've got co-transport. So co-transport kind of uses these electrogenic pumps, so we'll start with these pumps first. So what they do is there's this voltage difference um, within the cell. So there's voltage across the membrane where you pump different types of ions to get this charge difference. So you can have a chemical gradient um, where you have high concentration, low concentration, but you need this ATP to like, say you've got a sodium potassium pump. Okay, you're gonna pump Sodium out of the cell, pump potassium into the cell for like nervous system transmission, all that other shit. Bunch of different things actually go on with this. Um, so that's going to, you know, change the charge because you're pumping. Let me think. Let me get my stuff straight. If I remember correctly, you're pumping two out and one in, or it might be vice versa. You're pumping a different number in. So it's changing the charge. Um, And then you definitely have something, proton pumps. Huge fucking deal. Proton pumps are super fucking important. okay? Because basically, that really creates a charge difference because you're pushing these positively charged hydrogens across the membrane. You're depositing them somewhere, so you get a shit ton on one side, barely any on the other, and that is going to have a massive effect on doing stuff later. And that's how this idea of co-transport works that I mentioned. You do these pumps first where you pump all this shit and kind of store energy. So you pump all the hydrogens uphill against the concentration gradient and then you use that diffusion because it wants to go from high to low. So you use that power to bring something with it and it could be like a sugar or something big that requires help getting across the membrane so imagine it's like you're pushing an empty wheelbarrow up a hill because that's easy but then you're using that wheelbarrow to bring something big down the hill using gravity to help you move it so that's all co-transport is Um, now it's very important to kind of compare passive versus active the super obvious one is passive and the requires no energy, while active requires energy. Passive, we're going from high to low. Active, we're going low to high. Concentrations. So passive, we're going down the concentration gradient. Active transport, we're going up against it. And with passive, we've got stuff like diffusion, osmosis, and facilitated diffusion. And active transport, we've got, like, we we have pumps. And if we've got something super fucking big, we've got, um, Endo and exocytosis Which is just moving stuff inside the cell If it's endocytosis or exocytosis We're moving shit out That's how we move really big things and we get vesicles involved And all that shit Um, But with that We come to the end That's it That's the membrane So after this we're going to start Focusing on energy What energy is some cellular respiration some photosynthesis some really good biochem biology shit um in the weeks to come so wrapping everything up thank you for listening um don't forget to subscribe tell everybody um get that listening number up that'd be awesome um so every if everybody tells one friend i'd be happy that'd be amazing so spread the word, follow us on Twitter, at bio for bastards um, rate, subscribe, like, all that shit, and I have been your host, John Doty, and until next time, thanks for listening.